sins away. Oh, say much I'm glad. From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in the southern suburbs of Nashville in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, this is Making a Difference, and this is Dr. Shelton Smith. I'm delighted today that you've joined us, and we're looking this week at some compelling Bible questions. There are literally hundreds of questions in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, and I've just looked through and found some of those that I feel like we need to let those questions be raised again and provide the answer. In fact, some of the questions are really phrased in such a way that they answer themselves. But anyway, we're going to look at them, several of them, maybe as many as 10 of them. Already we've looked at three. And today we're going to look at one in Acts chapter number 8. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Let me remind you that in July, July 18 through 21, the National Sword of the Lord Conference will be in North Carolina in Walkertown. We're going to be at the Gospel Light Baptist Church again. We've missed two years going there because of the pandemic, but we're going to be back there this year, and we always have a great crowd, and we look forward to having many, many of you come. It's a free seating, no advanced registration, no fees of any kind. We look forward to having you with us July 18 through 21. Now, let's get right to our study today in Acts chapter number 8. We have this interesting, in fact, very intriguing story that also has a lot of insight for us because it tells the story of a good Christian man who was one of the deacons of the early Jerusalem church. He had been working for the Lord and preaching in Samaria and had really had great success there. I mean, he was one of those that had gotten scattered out across the countryside because of the persecution in Jerusalem, and he went down to Samaria, and verse 5 of chapter 8 says he preached Christ to them. And uh, the people heard what he said. They listened. They paid attention. And apparently, many, many of them turned to Christ, so much so that verse 8 says there was great joy in that city. And if I may say, dear friends, whenever we have the gospel preached and people accepting it, I mean, when people turn to Christ, joy is in the offing. It's coming, dear friend. Joy is going to invade the place whenever we get things right with God. Well, the Lord gave instructions to Philip, told him to leave that place where he was having such great success and go down toward Gaza. And there, without any instructions really as to what he was to do there, I'm sure Philip had an idea, he's going to go down there and preach. Well, first thing you know, he meets a man, a single man, a lone man on the road. This man is a well-to-do man. In fact, he is the uh, what we would call the secretary of the treasury for the queen of Ethiopia. He has uh, been up to Jerusalem, apparently a Jew, been up to Jerusalem to worship, probably one of the feast days. And so he's coming back home after that time in Jerusalem, and he's sitting in his chariot. Now, that tells me something. This man not only has a government position, he not only has a position of authority and prominence in the Ethiopian government, but this man's probably pretty well-to-do. He's done well because just that word chariot tells me he's riding, and for that day, what would probably be a good set of wheels. Now, we look at this man, and we know right away 
that he is not the typical Jewish person coming from Ethiopia. Obviously, he's a man with a black skin. And I want you to notice very clearly here, when you read the text, read it carefully. Philip didn't hesitate. There was no racial bias. There was no hesitating because this man looked different. In fact, with either one of them, they both responded to each other very warmly, very graciously, and by the way, just like all of us should do as well. So what we have here, the man's in his chariot, he's riding along gently, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And whenever Philip encounters him, Philip said to him, he said, hey man, do you know what you're reading? And the man from Ethiopia said, how can I figure this out except somebody give me some instruction, except somebody guide me? So this is the beginning of the conversation. The Bible says there from that Isaiah 53 passage that he preached Christ unto him. Of course, that passage in Isaiah is a great messianic passage. It tells of the forecoming of the Lord Jesus, and he preached to him from that very same scripture, the message of Christ. Now, here is the question that the Ethiopian man asked. In verse 36, the question was raised. In fact, I'll read the entire verse. It says, As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So the question is, why can't I be baptized? It's a good question, and very frankly, the truths about it are very simple, but yet so many, many people in 21st century America and in every country on the planet, people are stumbling over something like this about this subject. And I tell you, we just need to be sure that we get it right and get it straight. This man said, see, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? So Philip's already talked to him about the Savior. He's talked to him about getting baptized, publicly identifying with Christ. And so this man wants to know, why can't I be baptized? Now, friends, let me give you some things. This passage teaches us some things about salvation and baptism, and we need to understand these very clearly. For example, salvation is one thing, and baptism is another. Whenever you read through the New Testament, you'll find salvation always comes first, and then baptism follows. It is important for us to make a distinction. These are two separate things. The baptism does not save. It didn't save the Ethiopian, and it will not save you. You can get baptized in every church in town and still die and go to hell if you do not have the salvation that the Lord offers. And that really means what I'm trying to say to you is nobody gets saved by baptism. Nobody gets saved by getting dipped in the water or having a little water sprinkled on their head. And by the way, when a person is sprinkled, that's really not baptism at all. I mean, read the Bible. That's all we have to do. Baptism in the Bible is not sprinkling, but it is immersion. We'll look at that more carefully in a moment, but let me just make the point here. Salvation is one thing. Baptism is another. Now, salvation is an essential for baptism. If you are going to be saved, you're going to have to trust Christ for that. You're going to have to come to him. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the gospel. That's the good news you need to hear. And if you're willing to trust what Christ did for you on the cross and in his resurrection, he will forgive your sin, he will admit you to the family of God, and he will reserve a place for you in heaven when you die. 
Salvation must come first. Otherwise, you could get dipped in the water again in every church in town, and it would mean nothing whatsoever. It would not really be Bible baptism if you're not saved already. So I say salvation is an essential for baptism. A lot of folks try to say baptism is essential for salvation, but they've got it exactly backward and wrong. Nobody's going to get into heaven because they got dipped in a pool somewhere. So we look at this matter and we understand salvation is something that happens within us, and baptism is something that happens without. It's a matter of internal and external. Salvation is internal in the heart, and baptism is on the outside. It's what we do to identify with Christ. And let me say, too, baptism is for believers only, not for infants. It's not for someone who's in an unconscious state, not for somebody that's in a coma, for example. You cannot do that and uh, really have any legitimacy biblically whatsoever. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I want you to notice, read that carefully. It says two things. The gospel is one thing. Baptism is another. Now, I know some folks want to read this, and they say there's another word here that's understood. They say, they say, for Christ sent me not to baptize, and they want to add the word only, not to baptize only, but to preach the gospel. Well, dear friends, I want you to know, even if you took it that way, it's not the right way to take it. But even if you did, there are still two separate things here. The baptism is one thing, the gospel is another. Look at the text. It is so clear, you cannot miss that if you'll just be honest about it. Now, the other thing that I want you to see is baptism is always by immersion. The word means to dip, to plunge under, to immerse. Sprinkling is not biblical baptism. Immersion pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that is what we do when we get baptized. It's to identify with Christ and to take a public stand and let people know that, yes, we have been saved, and so we're going to illustrate that in the watery grave of baptism. Now, I say again, baptism does not save, does not save me, does not save you, will not save anyone, never has and never will. I want to mention to you, I have a book that I wrote a while back on uh, baptism and deal with all nine of what I call the water passages that some people get a hold of and they try to distort them into saying that baptism is essential for salvation. But I have this book that I did entitled The Battle Over Baptism, and it's available here at the Sword of the Lord. And if you have a problem with this, I want you to get a hold of the book, call us, write to us, and uh, we'll be glad to get that out to you. It's just one of those things you need to clearly understand and know that every Bible passage literally teaches the same thing. There's no contradiction in the Scriptures. So, baptism is an act of obedience. It is something that we do because we have come to Christ. Here in Acts chapter 8, Philip went to Isaiah 53 where the man was reading, and he preached Christ unto him. And after preaching Christ unto him, the man said, what hinders me to be baptized? Why can't I be baptized? And you know what Philip said? He said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us over and over again. Read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's what the Bible says, dear friend. And so we get the salvation issue settled, and then, yes, it is important, and it is significant for us to be baptized. 
the Bible gives us in the Great Commission, the fact that we are to teach all nations, and that word means to get folks saved, get them converted, and then we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and then we're to teach them all the things that the Lord taught us. So yes, baptism is something that everybody should do, but let's get it in order. Let's do it right. Let's do what the Bible teaches on this, and if we will, we're going to find ourselves in good shape in terms of honoring the Lord and doing exactly what His Word has said. So my compelling question for the day why can't I be baptized? Well, you can be baptized. Uh, churches that are doing the things they ought to do have a baptismal pool, or they will take you to a creek or to a pond or a river, or as I was in a church recently where they were planning a baptism in the ocean. Uh, listen, where water is, just like the Ethiopian said, here's water, why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, there's one thing lacking. There's one thing you need to do. There's one thing that precedes baptism. You've got to get it in your heart. Believe it in your heart. Trust Christ. Come to the place where that you have received the Savior, and then you can be baptized. This question raised in Acts chapter 8 by this Ethiopian, well, dear friend, I'm telling you, it's just an amazing thing that he would ask the question. He is right ready to do what he needs to do but he had to have some instruction. And that's why that I'm dealing with these compelling Bible questions this week. I'll have another one for you tomorrow, and we'll just keep looking at these for several days now, because every one of them are germane to where you and I live. They are germane to our living the Christian life and having the witness and the testimony that we ought to have. Well, it's time for me to stop today, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. I want to encourage you to write to me. Let me know that you hear the broadcast here on this station. We're glad to be here five days a week, and I trust that you'll join us every day that you possibly can. But I'd love to hear from you. So write to me, Dr. Shelton Smith, at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com. And I do hope that you'll get in touch real soon. Don't forget about our website, and we look forward to having you check that out. There'll be a lot of good things there to help you, and we thank you for doing so. Until tomorrow, God bless you. Do have a good rest of the day, and goodbye for now.